0: Welcome back to Olympic Size, the unofficial, unlicensed, unaffiliated with the IOC True History of the Olympics. Uh, I'm your host, Bridget Natale, and with me as ever my delightful co host uh, Sarah McSorley. Sarah and special uh, guest.
1: Frank Costello, thank you for having me back. I'm <laughs> delighted to be here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he just decided he was yeah, a special guest. I know, one day.
2: I like, just <laughs> i just I just don't feel as special.
1: I said, I said recurring guest. Special was added oh, later. Uh,
0: that's, I always mix it up, too, because I, I I always forget that you want to be a recurring guest, and then I think I'm going to offend him if I say recurring guest.
2: <laughs> well, now I'm offended because I don't feel special. This is my special
0: <laughs> co-host.
2: Oh, wow. That does not sound good. Okay, I take it all back.
0: <laughs> okay, so, yeah, and I just wanted to say... Uh, why this update has taken so long and it's going to be sporadic for a while is my child has decided that napping is not a thing he does anymore, which means there's an hour a day I've just lost. <laughs> so, this is when I usually I used to do my research. Um, so, at some point, you'll be in preschool, and uh, I hope to get back to a more <laughs> uh, consistent publishing schedule at that point. Until then, I'll get these out when I can.
1: I think it, it does work out though, because we are doing the 1920 in 2019. We can say that we wanted the alignment. We wanted it to be the palindrome.
0: <laughs> the stars have aligned.
1: The unfortunate thing is then how long do we have to wait to do the next Yeah, alignment? this is going to be a very sporadic <laughs> podcast. Yeah, uh, the next one's in
0: 1924. So in so
1: 4129.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, what if we just go ahead and do it?
0: Yeah, we'll do it when I get the research done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so and yeah, and you know, like we said, this is nineteen twenty is what we're gonna be talking about and um yeah, I'll just
2: get into it. So almost a hundred years ago. Yeah, close to hundred years ago. Yeah. <laughs> nineteen
1: twenty, I think primarily known for being the year the cabinet of Dr. Caligari came out and uh, horror cinema reached its pinnacle.
0: Yeah, that's definitely um what I know it for. Not all this research that I've done. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow! <laughs> Devastating.
0: <laughs> okay. So, uh, as we mentioned in our last episode, the Olympics that were originally scheduled for 1916 were canceled because of the uh, World War One. It uh, altered the course of European history forever. Just a little destroyed all the empires that were more or less bad. Uh, the ones that did survive were kind of on the downward spiral, and then it set the stage for World War II, which because <laughs> they didn't actually solve anything. Do um, so, they
1: realize that yet in 1920, or are they still optimistic? To some same. of them
0: did. Some of them did. I don't really want to get into it too because it's again like the everything about World War One is so far outside mm-hmm. the scope <clears> of what we do that like I don't want to get too into it. But but if you listen to Dan Carlin or like right. do any kind of reading on the time, there were a lot of people who were like. I think Woodrow Wilson in particular was like, these, uh, this treaty, these, pe- that is Mimi making a special guest appearance, my cat who wants attention, um,
2: very insistent,
0: oh yeah, um, but yeah, that I, I think Woodrow Wilson was one in particular who was like, these, uh, this treaty is terrible and we're just gonna have to fight this war again soon, but <laughs> also,
2: like, also Nazis, yeah. In the second version.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, we'll get to Here the Nazis. 1936 is coming.
2: Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I'll be patient.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh Mimi is,
0: is not happy. Honey. I know, baby. <laughs> it is a distressing thing to talk about. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, uh, World War I. Which is what we call it now. At the time, they called it the Great War because it was so unimaginably, unimaginably horrific. They couldn't conceive of it happening again, so no reason to call it the first it one. It would
2: have been really funny if they did call it World War One, though. <laughs> like but right guys, away, that would be that would be a good bit. Like guys, like let's not do this again. But this is the first one.
0: Um, yeah, and again, uh, just recommending if you want to know more about World War One. I. I know I didn't know a lot about it. Um, because it, it was kind of skipped over in history class, I remember, in school, and I didn't...
1: Oh, yeah. If you're listening to this podcast in the States, you didn't learn anything about World oh, War I. No. No. <laughs> we stopped at, like, the Civil War. Yeah. Like, that's about as
2: recent history. And then you
0: watch, the you watch like, some, like, uh, Saving Private Ryan or something in AP
1: history no, or something. Notably like, not in World War I, but yeah, yeah, they, yeah, just yeah. they just jumped. They to World War II. In
2: AP history, we got to the Civil War. I got a four on my AP history test, and honestly, a miracle. <laughs>
0: Uh, anyway, so, uh, one thing I do recommend, since you're already listening to a podcast, a podcast I recommend to learn more about World War One, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History Blueprint Armageddon. It's a six-part series that's exhaustively researched very researched, very good. Probably not the best thing to, to like, binge listen to, because it does get very intense. Um, but yeah, so, Cliff's Notes. The war lasted from July 28th, 1914 to November 11th, 1918. So there was some time after 1912 in which the IOC was proceeding as normal because this is the other thing about World War One, nobody saw it coming. It was like everything, like everything was kind of normal, and then uh, Franz Ferdinand gets assassinated, and two weeks later everybody's at war. Right.
1: So it happened very, very fast. Yes, the IOC has demonstrated an ability to kind of work through regional wars in Europe, at least. Yeah, to some at extent, this point, yeah, right? yeah,
0: because there was like the the. The Greeks were fighting the Turks, and then sure. the Russians, and, like, yeah, there was a lot of, like, kind of squabbling going on through this whole period, so, anyway, uh, after 1912, uh, which was the last one, was Sweden, uh, they are proceeding as normal, having their usual meetings to play where the 1916 games were going to happen. Mimi, we hear you. I
2: thought she would stop.
0: <laughs> Sarah's trying to pet Mimi to, like, give her the attention she so craves. Uh, yeah. They were planning the uh, usual meetings to plan where the 1916 games were going to happen and what events they were going to have, all that stuff. The last IOC session before war exploded uh, suddenly and without much warning for anybody involved was held from the from June 15th to the 23rd, 1914, at the Sorbonne. So, like a month later, they were at war. Um, it was, and there was where they decided that the 1916 games would be held in Berlin.
2: I wish I had like a little kazoo.
0: Yeah, um, that didn't happen
2: (laughs) They were busy They They had some stuff going on
0: Yeah, considering the outcome of the war With Germany being held as both the loser And one of the main instigators Not to mention financially destroyed On top of everything else There was no way the 1920 Games could be held in Berlin As early as 1915 De Coubertin was trying to decide Where to hold the 1920 Games because um, they'd already decided 1916 wasn't happening.
1: Um, yeah. I'd be tempted to propose as far away from war-torn Europe as possible, but that might put us back in America, and we have a terrible track record.
0: Well, we'll get to wh- wh- where they were considering. Um, yeah, so Antwerp. Okay, so uh, Antwerp, uh, which in Belgium, which is where 1920 ended up being, um, and Lyon, France, were both in the running. Though they had no guarantee that the war would actually be over by 1920, or that the Kaiser wouldn't be ruling them all at the time, and, <laughs> like, and who knows what that would have meant for anything. Uh, a 1915 letter to de Coubertin from Count de Bayet Latour, I think is how you say that, um, on the matter reflects both the uncertainty about their future as well as a commitment to what the games meant to them at the time. Which is the excerpt on page two.
2: That's me. Yeah. Yeah. That's Sarah. We have a lot of excerpts this this series. All right. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, certainly, when the invader has been forced back, the work to accomplish will be immense. It will be necessary to rebuild our churches, our schools, our homes, and our farms, to rebuild commerce and industry, restore life in the factories and the coal mines. Will one find in this nation so tested the sufficient resources to prepare properly for an Olympic Games? I have reason to believe that of all the things this war has taught us, there is one that cannot be denied. It is the usefulness of sports. The practice of them. At the same time, it strengthens the body and makes it supple, teaching youths the spirit and discipline and to have no fear. It is certain that the great development of sports in the last years of our youth taught us a military spirit, made capable soldiers who fought so bravely on the... Easer? I don't know. I don't know. Alright, sport is now established as a right of the citizens. The government will never forget the services they rendered at the hour of danger! Exclamation point.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, they were just like... One thing we've learned is that sports makes good soldiers, so we have to keep having these We're games. This
1: was We're mid-war, s- though, right? Yeah, this like, is like 1915, oh. yeah. By the end of the war, we mostly agreed that the thing we've learned is that sports don't help you against modern <laughs> military technology.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? You like, just
1: throw the bullets back. Trans-warfare, it's like shot put. warfare negates the entire advantage that sports would have given you running up to a place. <laughs>
2: We're riding horses. We're definitely shooting bows and arrows. We're doing sports. Yes, um, war, sports, same thing. So, do you know like how in basketball, you know how like in war when you do a layup on the other team, an alley oop. <laughs> a- no, Remember okay. when the Kaiser got alley ooped? <laughs> Who can forget?
0: Anyway, other cities that were contenders included. Rome, Italy, because Italy like did not commit to a side for a very long time. World War One, um, Havana, Cuba, which probably would have been the best. Yeah,
2: it's like just get out of town for a little while, yeah. have a nice Caribbean vacation.
0: Um, Atlanta, Atlanta, Cleveland, and Philadelphia, all of the United States.
2: That's a, that's a yikes. Not, on all, all those fronts. <laughs> not even a good set of cities in no. the states. No, to yeah, pick from. Why, especially in nineteen. Can you imagine the Cleveland Olympics? No. Oh, I can't. Well,
0: 1920, Cleveland wouldn't have been so bad. They were still in... We'll have put you a, been we'll, to
1: Northern Ohio? Hold oh on. I, we'll, yeah, but
0: I grew up in Pittsburgh. All right, well,
1: whatever. Okay. We'll put a link to Cleveland's tourism video in <laughs> <and> the show notes. <this. laughs>
0: That's today, though. This is before the crash Sorry, I'll keep okay, uh, my industrial... anti,
2: anti-Ohio bias to myself over here.
0: I like how we're like a little, like two sides of Ohio, Kentucky, and Pennsylvania, and we're both like, eh, screw them.
2: No, they're the worst. Sorry, <laughs> I said I would keep it to myself. All
0: right. Anyway, um, out, I don't think we, we have, have any a list- listener in Ohio. I don't think we have any in Ohio. We're fine. Out of <laughs> and con- if we
2: do, get out. You're not invited.
0: <laughs> out of contention was the other runner-up for 1916, uh, Budapest, Hungary, as Hungary was an ally of Germany and also identified as an aggressor nation in World War One. But the IOC was largely European, and so was the war. Antwerp was the sentimental choice, Belgium having suffered cataclysmic losses of human life, along with the destruction of the nation and countryside.
2: Also, they've got those waffles.
0: Yeah, ironically, it was exactly because of this that the Belgian king and government were not exactly as enthusiastic about the prospect of hosting as they were before the war. Lyon backed down as an option, agreeing to take the 1924 Olympics instead, and the IOC basically forced Belgium to host.
2: Again, waffles.
0: Belgium was (laughs) in rough shape. The reason for this was because a lot of the Western Front had been in Belgium, Flanders Field. Uh, the... A lot of the fighting happened in Belgium. Um, The Kaiser's army showed up on the Belgian border of uh, August of 1914, and they took Antwerp by October. The French army met the German army there in order to keep them out of France. Belgium was occupied by the Germans until October 1918. By the time the 1920 Olympics were set to start, they they had not even come close to recovering. Much of Antwerp was still destroyed along with the surrounding countryside. There were still major shortages of things like food, The Belgians had less time to prepare for these Olympics than any other of the modern Olympics, with less money and less resources than any other Olympics.
2: Food is a very broad category.
0: (laughs) Armistice Day was in November of 1918, but not all of the various nations involved signed a treaty on that day. The Germans signed the Treaty of Versailles in June 1919, and the last of the central powers to sign a peace treaty was Hungary in uh, when they signed the Treaty of Trianon in June of 1920. So, this was like six months later. <laughs> or not even. Not even. because it Yeah,
1: summer. it's... You needed to do, have started building your stadium during your war effort yeah. to make <laughs> like, this work. Yeah, it's which probably, they hadn't done. Yeah, like, I wouldn't... <laughs> I, think? I mean, you'd get kicked out of office pretty quick building a stadium well, during a war effort.
0: He's a king, so the...
1: Mm, That's... More incentive not to get kicked out of office. Anyway,
0: uh, because of this, there were not many events planned. It was pretty close to the 1912 slate where they had intentionally tried to pare down the number of events. Uh, The ones in 1920 included track and field, rowing and sculling, boxing, cycling, fencing, soccer, gymnastics, ice hockey, field hockey, tennis, wrestling, swimming and diving, figure skating, weightlifting, shooting, yachting, archery, horse polo, water polo, pentathlon and decathlon.
1: That still seemed like quite a few. Were any of those smushed into one event category again? I know in the past we've tried to lessen the number of events by just kind of combining.
0: Well, there was like modern pentathlon and then like the pentathlon and decathlon, which were kind of part of the track and field Hmm. events. Um, But yeah, once tasked there was still more than 1912, I think, because like. When we get to boxing, they didn't have boxing in 1912, remember? The the guy running it was like, uh, boxing's illegal in Sweden, we can't do it.
1: Yeah, and was that he, the one where they had 16 hours of continuous wrestling between the two guys? It's just something like that, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, once tasked with hosting the Olympics, the Belgian Olympic Committee formed an organizing committee. The bulk of the work was done by the Belgian Committee of the 7th Olympiad. Wait, the bulk of the work done by the Belgian Committee of the 7th Olympiad was done by the Executive Committee which consisted of eight men four members of the provisional committee and four members of the belgian olympic committee they were mostly aristocrats of some kind or another the president of both the boc and the executive committee was count, count Henri de baillet-latour the guy who just talked about how sports helps uh, win wars um where you go he was the one who had really spearheaded the belgian bid for the olympics and without him it would not have happened He had been an IOC member since 1903, and after the Antwerp Olympics, he would be named to the IOC's new five-person executive board. He was elected president of the Belgian Olympic Committee in 1923, a position he held until his death in 1925 at the age of 75. So he's like 70 here. Yeah, Um, I'm
1: like, when you you had the death that close to the election, I was about to ask, you know, what happened? But that's quite old for the time. I'm sort of impressed he was doing anything.
0: Vice presidents of the executive committee...
1: Maybe he was just really good at sports and it helped him live a long life.
0: <laughs> Possibly. He was also an aristocrat. That tends to help. Mm. Uh, vice presidents of the executive committee were Baron Edouard-Emile de Lavalier and Robert Osteray. Another who proved absolutely vital to his effort was Alfred Verdake, who was pretty famously doubtful of their ability to pull this off as another one of the doubting members, reporting secretary Ra- Rodolphe, William Sealdreyer is reported. And that's him on page 8, the yellow. This is Sealdreyer's.
1: Oh, uh, this is the <clears throat> the letter? Yeah. Uh, in 1919, following the suggestion of some Antwerp sportsmen, and without consultation with the Belgian Sporting Federations, at the Geneva Congress of the in- International Olympic Committee, the ballet Tour requested that Antwerp be considered at the venue of the... The I.I.th Olympiad, I should know how to pronounce that. seventh, seven. yeah. Seven. I'm not used to seeing those written in Roman numerals. Right. It's fine, I'll fix it in post. <laughs> mm-hmm. I won't. <laughs> Upon his return to Brussels, he summoned the Sporting Federations to a meeting. Mr. Verdike and myself attended this meeting as representatives of the Belgian Union of Football Clubs and had every intention of proving that it was totally impossible for the country, which had been bled dry by war, to prepare in one and a half years where where other countries who had not suffered a war needed four. The reply to this was, if Verdick wants it, he can do it. Mr. Verdick and myself emerged from the meeting as Secretary General and Reporting Secretary of a committee chaired by Count de Bellator. Sorry.
0: Verdick, assisted by his friend... You can
1: fix that in post, is too. Dice.
0: I don't know what his first name is, uh, managed to transform the Union Belge de Societes de Football Association from Association from a disorganized mess into one of the best-run national football associations in the world. According to an unnamed member of the Belgian committee, quote, It was the unanimous opinion of Belgian sportsmen that it would have been impossible without verdict to organize the Olympics in one year. It, it, it is something of a miracle that he managed to do this. Uh, Seal Dreyers would go on to be elected to the IOC in 1946 and served with FIFA for most much of his career the last three members of the committee were charles knoops it's c-n-o-o-p-s knoops uh alfred griesar and paul Havenith. while they did manage to pull this off they certainly didn't manage to pull this off and break even there there were a lot of committees forming liquidating and reforming with the same members as they moved money mostly debts around and tried to get grants and subsidies from the belgian government to cover it all There was also an attempt to host a World's Fair in Antwerp that same year that fell through due to bankruptcy. Yeah. (laughs) But the Olympics did happen, and when it was all said and done, the Belgian government ended up with a debt of about 1 million U.S. dollars current value.
1: I guess I'm not... Okay, so I understand that Verdict's very competent. And if he wants something, he can get it. That's sort of the consensus. It's not really clear to me if he wants this or if he's been told to want it and I, then I, follow I, through in turn.
0: I think that's what it was. <laughs> and it wasn't even like the other Belgians telling him he wanted it. It was everybody else. Right. Like, um, so, yeah, these Olympics were very spread out, probably because of all the battlefields and rubble. The official site was Antwerp, but the events took place there in Beverloo, Braschat, Brussels, Ghent. Merksem, Austin, St. Géli, Villevoorde, and in Amsterdam, which is actually in the Netherlands. (laughs) In addition to the locations and how to finance it, the other major consideration after the Great War was who would be allowed to compete. Remember, both Berlin and Budapest had been contenders to host 1916, and the Germans and the Hungarians had been major supporters and influencers in popularizing the games. Like, that was like a thing. These guys were like super instrumental. Right.
1: Once the Germans decided that competing wasn't un-German which right. I think was an issue for one or two of the it games was, it was something but like then that. they came in and they did very strong shows
0: yeah and the Hungarians too um, I, I think we kind of forget now because they're not as much of a powerhouse h- anymore but like uh, at the early part of the 20th century they absolutely were and you know, we talked about how they dominated Sabre for like 60 years. Like, nobody but Hungarians won medals.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. So, um...
1: It's first blood to the ground, and they don't bleed, so they <laughs> have an <event.
0: laughs> Uh But they were both central powers and identified as, quote, aggressor nations in World War One. I, which I, I'm i just saying, I feel like identifying anybody as an aggressor in that war is kind of, uh... Shacy.
1: Yeah, it's dicey. It, it seems like it might be a little bit I, of a biased I subject. I think it would be fine, but if you
2: labeled everyone yeah it's more it's more uh, who's being labeled as a loser in the
1: war I think that was a separate label right but but it's a lot of overlap on that set right according to the people assigning the labels the people assigning the labels might have some biases it's
2: all that I'm suggesting
1: How, how dare you
2: But uh, asking
0: veterans from the war to compete alongside each other just a few months after the end of the fighting seemed a bit much, even for the lofty Olympic ideals. Yeah. Because also, like, something is that these guys didn't go on leave or, like, they were just in for the duration. So they'd been years.
2: It (laughs) uh, It was a little bit of a rough war. It was
0: rough on everybody. All right, so banning the Central Powers completely forever was something that some wanted but de Coubertin resisted so a compromise was struck with some fancy rules lawyering that only applied to the 1920 games and this is de Coubertin on page 5
2: Uh, common sense suggested that it would hardly be wise for a german team to appear in the olympic stadium before 1924 on the other hand to ostracize any member country even right after the conflict that had torn europe asunder would create a rift in the olympic constitution which had been so strong until then and it might become a dangerous precedent not the olympic constitution so my my word
0: The Austrian, Bulgarian, German, Hungarian, and Turkish IOC members were suspended to keep with these new roles. They then then amended that non-European countries without IOC members could attend to account for places like the U.S. and Japan and Canada and others as the IOC was still almost solely European. So it was on August 14th, 1920 when the games were officially opened in Antwerp. There was a Catholic Mass preceding the ceremony at the Notre Dame Cathedral in Antwerp, not the one in Paris, and the prelate of Belgium... Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. There are multiple Notre Dame cathedrals?
0: It's like Our Lady, is what it means, in French. There's
2: one in Michigan.
0: Yeah. (laughs) How many, many, like, Sacred Heart churches are there?
1: One? No. there's. (laughs) Okay, I don't know.
0: There's a lot. Uh, yeah, it, Notre Dame just means Our Lady. So if, if it's in a French-speaking country, it's going to be Notre Dame. Anyway, uh, the prelate of Belgium...
1: A French-speaking country like Michigan? <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Well, there were a lot of French yes. yeah, settlers there. Okay, anyway. The prelate of Belgium, Cardinal Mercier, had this to say, and that's page 7. as part his homily.
1: Uh, you, ladies and gentlemen, before the opening of the Olympic Games, have wished to commemorate those who belong to you... And who did not return from this terrible war it should be reminded that for you the stadium events are not vain idle games they represent an education before 1914 they were used as a preparation for war and the war demonstrated the wisdom of their founder today they are a preparation for peace and for the dreadful eventualities which have not yet disappeared over the horizon
0: a cheery. Um, mm-hmm. Around two thirty in the afternoon, King Albert I arrived at the Beershot Stadium with the Queen and their children. Greeted with the Belgian national anthem, Barbasson, um or "Brabanson," uh, I think if I even pronounce that correctly. Uh, then yeah, they then they fired a cannon to announce the beginning of the parade of nations. They entered in alphabetical order according to the French language. So the order was Australia, Brazil, Canada, Chile, Denmark, Egypt, Spain estonia the united states finland france great britain greece the netherlands italy japan luxembourg norway monaco new zealand portugal south africa sweden switzerland czechoslovakia and belgium entering last as they were the host nation argentina and yugoslavia also participated in these games but were not present for the parade of nations king albert declared the games open then there were a lot of innovations in this opening ceremony that would become ironclad traditions. There were a lot of things that started in 1920. Uh, there was the fanfare of Theban trumpets and the newly designed Olympic flag was raised. De Couperton had designed it in 1914. Instead of his design, these five rings represent the five parts of the world from this point on, one over to Olympism and given to accepting fruitful rivalry. Furthermore, the six colors, including the white background, thus combined, reproduce the colors of all the nations with no exceptions. So, like, every color, like, every flag has at least one of those colors in it, mm. is why he chose those. Um, this flag, known as the Antwerp flag, was presented to the IOC and would be used as the, the main Olympic flag flown at every Olympics through 1984 uh pigeons were then released as a symbol of peace another thing that would become tradition for decades i think i think Lillehammer norway was the first time they didn't do that after this
2: pigeons
0: yeah like white pigeons like doves oh that's So that's
2: a different kind of bird
0: well pigeons and doves are very closely related
2: they're a different kind of bird
0: anyway <laughs> uh they're well pigeons are rock doves
2: I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Not, look up rock doves. I feel like they have different names. They're different birds. Wait, is that how that works? That's how it works. I didn't make the rules. Uh,
0: the, then there was some music and fanfares, and the Belgian fencer Victor Boyne, flanked by two soldiers carrying the Belgian flag, made the first athlete's oath. This should be part of every opening ceremony from 1920 onward, although um, the, the language changed somewhat, but they, they did the... Athlete's Oath, and that's on page eight. Ah. That was that second excerpt there.
1: We swear that we will take part in the Olympic Games in a spirit of chivalry for the honor of our country and for the glory of sport.
0: Yeah, so the, the, that's a the thing they still do, although I think the language has changed a little. Um,
1: Is it done in the native language of the host country each time?
0: I, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I want to say yes and French. Is probably what they do because they do everything in French. Um, The band played the anthem again. Uh, Swedish and Belgian choirs sang various songs as the athletes exited the stadium in the order they arrived. The 1920 games had begun. So we're going to backtrack a little bit to ice hockey. Um, So this was before, this is the last time that they would not have a separate winter games. Uh, starting in 1924 there's going to be the winter games and the summer games mm-hmm. always happening on the same year up until like the 90s sometime when we started staggering them.
1: I noticed you had a mix of summer and winter sports in your list earlier. I'm wondering did the geographic spread of these games help facilitate that? Because I wouldn't want to dive into the same lake where they're doing the figure skating.
0: Well they they, they did it over time. Uh.
1: Um
0: so the yeah, so this was like in August but the ice hockey tournament took place before the opening ceremonies from April 23rd to the 29th. Um, it was the first time there was ice hockey at the Olympics, and it would be part of every Olympics after the, the every Winter Olympics after that. Uh, seven nations participated in the tournament: Belgium, Canada, Czechoslovakia, France, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United States. This was the only time that olympic hockey had seven man teams which this this is kind of going to sound if you're familiar with hockey this is going to sound insane so there were seven man teams uh the standard three forwards two defensemen and goalie were joined by one quote rover the rink was 18 by 56 meters which is quite narrow by modern standards and by most standards at the time as well, the game consisted of two 20-minute halves instead of three 20-minute periods. Were they in a hallway? basically. There was like it was like way narrower and there was an extra guy, like two was, extra guys on. The did ice. they
2: have like a regular hockey rink but there was like rubble on one side of it and Maybe. they were like we're just going to we're going to play through, guys.
0: The Canadians sent the Winnipeg Falcons, who had won the 1920 Allen Cup, which was the Amateur Championship and Cup in Canada. There were eight men on the Falcons, and seven were actually Icelandic. (laughs) Only the goalie was a Canadian citizen. The American team was similarly made up of athletes of questionable citizenship. There were 11 of them, coming together from the St. Paul Athletic Club, the Boston Athletic Association, and the Pittsburgh Athletic Association. Of the 11, at least four were born and raised in Canada and it's unclear if they held American citizenship at the time. However, the rules for who could represent what nation were still really lax at the time, so nobody cared.
1: And all of the Canadians were displaced by the Icelandic (laughs) players, so they had to go south to get a team.
0: Yeah. The first game was Sweden versus Belgium, in which one sports writer, which I, I guess a Canadian sports writer, wrote that the Swedes were rough, even by Canadian standards. <laughs> they won eight to nothing, and then Yikes. I think
1: the rover is just the guy who fights people. Yeah, are right? just <laughs> going around high sticking the defense. He's just
0: ready. Yeah, yeah. And then they beat France four to nothing in the semifinals, but they could not match the Canadians or Icelandic team, who beat them twelve to one. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. They used the Bergball system to determine the other medalists, in which all the runners up duke it out for the silver, and then everybody that's left after that compete for the bronze. When It was all said and done, in addition to Canada's gold, the US won silver and Czechoslovakia won the bronze. Now we're in figure skating. This was only the second time figure skating was an Olympic event. The first was in London 1908. They had planned to include figure skating in 1916 in Berlin, but that didn't happen for obvious reasons. The International Skating Union, uh, ISU, had conducted the competition in London, but refused to participate in the Antwerp Olympics. They believed that all ISU members should be allowed to compete, including those from the defeated Central Powers from World War I. Some organization called the International Skating Federation ran the competition, but as far as we can tell, that was the Brussels Ice Hockey and Skating Club, using a more official-sounding name.
1: The same strategy you use to design websites today.
0: (laughs) Twenty-six competitors from eight nations competed. Fourteen were men and twelve were women. There were three events: the men's competition, the women's competition, and pairs figure skating. Uh, There was no team competition.
1: Are we still in the phase where figure skating means tracing a literal shape?
0: Uh, Yeah, the compulsory shapes Mm -hmm. was still part of it. Um, That stays until like the eighties.
1: Oh, oh, yeah, really, it's super really recent. really didn't figure yeah. that out until...
0: Yeah, until, yeah. like, literally Calgary was the last time they did yeah.
2: it. There was, like, yeah, there was that documentary, like, this year, yeah. where it was the one guy who was like, I don't know, I was bad at making shapes, so I wasn't a champion. And I'm like, dude, that sucks. Yeah. Because they changed the law, like, the next year or yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, a
0: month later, they were like, this is a dumb rule, and they <laughs> just got rid of well, it. Well, they
2: were just like, this is boring to watch, guys. Like, this is on TV now. We yeah. have higher standards. Like, back then, it was like... You could go to war, or you could, like, watch people skate in shapes. Choose. So,
0: okay, so compulsory <laughs> figures are, like, yeah, where they would be, like, you have to make a square, uh-huh. and, like, a figure eight, and a triangle, and, like, this is where figure skating started, Did they right? do a square? I
2: don't know. I feel I was like they welcome to now. Yeah,
0: but, like, you had to, like, trace out these shapes as precisely as possible, and you got scored on that. And and that's why figure skating is called figure skating, because yeah. you were carving figures in the ice. And then all the jumps and spins and music and stuff, that's all secondary.
2: But that's all better. It, it is. is. That's why yeah. we don't do figure right. skating anymore. We do figure skating. I'm but doing the, jazz hands. This is an auditory presentation.
0: But, well, it, we, we could hear it in your voice. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so again... The scoring was completely different from the last time, but at least this wasn't run by the same organization, so I guess that was the excuse. For the singles competition, there were points, uh, but I tried to make sense of how the points were allotted and it made <laughs> no sense to me, so I'm not going to bother. It changes every it's... year for a long time anyway. Uh, the breakdown was 60% of the score was for the compulsory figures and 40% was for the free skate.
2: So That sounds fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like they were heavily weighted. I think even in the eighties, like it is insane that it lasted as long as it did, given how insane it sounds to watch. Like yeah. it just—they
1: had on that
0: documentary. They were showing they were doing this. They showed this during the Seoul Olympics. Mm-hmm. That was like one of those like little fluff pieces they do. Yeah, and and they were showing footage of them doing this, and they're just like slow. They're in there like they're spangled sparkly band X. Right,
1: but like very but, slowly and carefully and precisely going and then turning. Yeah, and then going. oh it's really yeah. slow too.
2: Well yeah. that's the thing, it's like you're like oh my god, why did it take so long for people to figure out how to turn around four times in the air because they were doing this stuff Yeah. <laughs> this is what they were focusing on and now we can do cool things like jumps and flips.
0: So okay, so they had the breakdown of 60% for flips? compulsory figures. Well no, you're, they're not allowed to do Yeah, you're flips. not
2: allowed to do a flip, that's actually illegal. <laughs> because sorry
0: bodoli but we'll get into that when it's we fine. get there. It's fine, it's, has fine. fine. Has it's
2: fine, it's fine. I, I have, have feelings, too. I have
0: feelings that I've been feeling the, since I was 12. The
2: IOC <laughs> would like it if no one would break their neck <laughs> doing figure skating. No, they
0: only did it because she was the only one who could do it's it. true. <laughs> and they couldn't she give her robbed. anything.
2: It's fine. It's fine. It sounds like it's not it's fine. Not it's not fine at we all. Well,
0: we'll get to it when we get to Syria. I, I still stay on her. All right, anyway. The judges... Okay, so they have the 60% of the score for compulsory figures and 40% for the free skate. The judges would then translate those scores into a placement first through whatever, twelve or fourteen, and then whoever had the most first place rankings got first. It was difficult to predict who would win the men's competition as there hadn't been a world or European championship since nineteen sixteen. Oric Salkow was there, but at thirty three was past his prime and came in fourth. Ahead of him was Martin Stixrud of Norway winning bronze, Andreas of Norway winning silver and Gillis Grafstrom of Sweden winning gold. I think Saucal is like one of these guys who like I mean obviously we still have the turn that he invented. He he was just so enormously influential on in the sport but because of World War I and because it was like in his prime years there was no competition he doesn't have the number of like
1: Right, he doesn't show up in the history books with the num in the pure counts.
0: Yeah. But he gets
2: a jump
1: named after him. Yeah, because so. he, right.
0: yeah, he still is like massively influential. Um, the women's competition was similarly difficult to predict. The this was the only time that gold medalist Magda Yulin Maroy of Sweden even competed internationally. She was not placed first by any of the judges, but the judges were so wildly inconsistent in the placements of the other skaters that she ended up with the gold. Zvea Noren of Sweden won silver, but the next day, upon recalculation of the scores, they realized that bronze medalist Teresa Weld Blanchard of the U.S. had actually earned the silver. However, this never came to anything, and there's an excerpt, Sarah, for you to read uh, from Benjamin T. Wright's Skating Around the World, 1892-1992, to 1992, the 100th anniversary of the International Skating Union. I don't know why I gave that whole thing, but... <laughs>
2: Thank you for citing your sources. Um, The day after the ladies' event, a retabulation of the marks showed that Teresa Weld had in fact earned more points than Svea Noren of Sweden and deserved the silver medal. The judges had approximated her points and awarded ordinals and medals accordingly. Oh my god, that's so many little sounds all at once. A protest was never made and the results stood as originally announced. It was a commentary on the fact that the ISU did not participate in conducting the events. So, I feel like so she just like never complained. They just
1: forgot to do the math. Yeah.
2: They were like, what if we just like well they no, it's not like they forgot to do the math. It kinda sounds like they were like math is hard. They
1: just bankers rounded
2: it and so they were like, yeah. That's probably just, right. We're just gonna guess it feels like she won. Just
1: kinda eyeball the graph at arm's length. You yeah, know, like that's probably this. And person. that's
2: how it's still done today. Yeah,
1: true. Right, we have computers, but we've programmed them to eyeball it. With uh, that's
2: the thing, people think like artificial intelligence is great and everything, but like it's programmed by idiots who can't do math. So this is it's the same problem.
1: Mm. This is not a tech podcast, so we don't really need to dig into that statement. No, but. that's
2: that's factual. That's uh, fact. I just said a fact, and you can just agree with me. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, Frank. Frank's trying not to say anything about how wrong I am, and this is exciting. You're actually
1: not as wrong as you might think.
2: <laughs> I'm not wrong because I hear it from Hannah all the time about how AI is stupid because people are stupid.
1: That's a fairly correct assessment. Science. It's, uh, yeah. Computer science. Anyway. Stop pointing fingerprints at me. <laughs>
0: So, uh, the pairs skating was the same with the whole, each judge ranked them and then the average number of first places, one first, et cetera, method. They just didn't break it down with the percentages because there was no compulsory figures for pairs. They didn't, like, both of you do a figure eight or whatever. That
1: seems like it would be good because it would either mean things went twice as fast. <laughs>
0: they that just did really the That would really be the part. only
1: good reason. That, if it they just, just did the fun part.
0: It, yeah. Uh... They just didn't- okay, uh, Finnish pair Walter and Ludovica Jacobsen Eilers were already multiple time world champions and would be again- would be in 1923 as well, along with being runners up both before and after the war. Alexia and Ingvar Bryn of Norway won silver and Phyllis Johnson and Basil Williams of Great Britain won bronze. There were also supposed to be skiing events at the Olympics, but they gave up on the idea when they realized that there was nowhere in Belgium that would work.
1: They, because it's August now. Or May at the earliest, really. Well, I mean,
0: <clears throat> yeah, but they also don't have mountains for skiing in mm. Belgium. It's pretty flat. <laughs> so ice, well, I'm thinking of Holland. Yeah. Uh, so ice hockey and figure skating was it for the Winter Games, and both events were held in April. Starting in 1924, the Olympics would split with various ma- separate venues for so the Winter Games and the Summer Games, but we'll get into that when we start talking about 1924.
1: I can't wait for the first Winter Olympics where they forget to pick a place that has mountains and they have to also cancel skiing. <laughs> I,
0: don't, I think after that, they I don't think they've had that problem. Um, archery and yeah you have the archery okay there are two types of archery events at the 1920 olympics when we still do and when we don't anymore and the one we don't anymore sounds way cooler than the one we still do surprise surprise the two events were target archery and pole archery target archery was shooting at a bullseye pole archery consisted of shooting at artificial birds placed on crossbeams that were suspended from a large pole which is your excerpt there
1: Indeed. They noted that the height of the poles was 31 meters with four crossbeams, with birds placed on the beams. In the large bird events, shooting at higher birds with the popinjay, counting for five points, the two side birds, counting for four, the two calvogels, canes, for three, and the eight guterers for two points.
0: So that sounds way more fun than a bullseye to me. Uh, Only 30 athletes from three nations competed in archery. Belgium, France, and the Netherlands. There were 10 events broken down by whether they were individual or team events for the target archery. and They were broken down by distance. And for the pole archery, they were broken down by what type of bird they were shooting at.
1: I guess I'm trying to piece together in my head whether you have access to all the kinds of birds and you pick your shots. Is it like higher risk, higher reward? Uh, based on a set number of arrows.
0: No, they, I mean there were the events were broken down by what type of bird they were shooting at. So I don't know.
2: That's what they said. It wasn't like they were all going at the same time. It wasn't like they threw like five different birds up and you shoot <laughs> no, whichever you, one you
1: feel. You have let's say ten arrows and there's a bunch of birds and the higher point birds like the popinjays jays are farther well, away. They're than like you can...
2: releasing them one at a time, right? No, no, no they're not. Fake ones on this the is Did like to it this about? is like
1: the deer from the riflery events. That's not a real deer.
2: We were already doing fake birds in the 1920s. The only time
0: there were live animals involved in any of these were in 1904 because we are the worst.
2: Oh. Uh, <laughs> I
1: forgot about
0: that. I
2: thought that. everyone yeah. else was as terrible. These you're saying we're the worst. These people just had a great war. We were also in the war. I would like to war. say.
0: Yeah, we also sh- participated. Sh- sh- these people. All right. Anyway, uh the <laughs> We're kind of getting closer to resurrecting one of my favorite segments that only happened in 1896. But the big star of the archery was hometown hero, Gerardus Theodorus Hubertus van Innes, or more commonly, Hubert van Innes. Oh boy. <gasps> van That's Innes a name. had competed in the 1900 Olympics in Paris, winning two golds and one silver, all in archery. But there were no archery events at any of the Olympics for the next 20 years. <laughs> he returned. Be at the age of fifty-four, to win six more medals—four golds and two silvers—he
1: was just in like s- cryo storage like waiting <laughs> for them <laughs> yeah, to bring Archery they back. Had him on ice.
0: Thirteen years later, at the age of sixty-seven, he would win the nineteen thirty-three World Championship, and I'm gonna—he's gonna be our cover image for this episode because he has the most amazing giant beard. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this huge thing, and I he still has like,
1: a great beard at like seventy years oh, old. He <laughs>
0: All right. It, it, yeah. He's great. Uh, anyway, so. Is
1: there an Expendables joke we can make involving archery words? What are some archery words? Bow. Expendables. <laughs> expendables. You got bow. That's all I got. Oh,
0: my God. He's Arrow. The, he's, the, he's the Hawkeye of the Expendables. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait.
2: Wait. <laughs> Wait, is Jeremy Renner in The Expendables? No. I would not wait. be surprised. He should yeah, be. Is and he? give
0: him a big old beard, like, like David oh, Lennon. Yes!
2: Just make <laughs> him look like he's old. Oh, I'm into it. Like, he's faking.
0: And is like, well, there hasn't been an Olympic archery event in 20 years. I would like. go
2: see this movie.
0: <laughs> anyway.
2: Frank, you seem against the movie idea. And yet, it's so good.
1: The only part of this I object to is the... Um, artificially aging up your actor to be in The Expendables. We no, need to wait no, no, no. 40 <laughs> no, no. years. I don't
2: want him to be, like, artificially aged. Like, I don't want him to be in old age makeup. I want him to have the fakest looking beard. He's just, like, wearing it and shooting a bow and arrow. How are you not into this? It's a good idea.
0: Well, who else played Who who's played uh, Robin Hood in the past? Carrie oh, Ellis. Shoot. Uh,
2: there was a was- really bad Russell Crowe. He, he was K- Always would be good. And and oh God, what oh God, what's his
1: name? And Robin Hood's public domain, so what's nothing stops us from making this film ourselves.
0: Dances with Wolves, what's his name? Uh, Field of Dreams.
1: Uh oh, Kevin God. Costner. Kevin
0: Costner. He was he was Kevin Costner, he is was Hollywood in Prince of Thieves. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Expendables, he's the Hawkeye. Anyway, this is a big diversion. Uh, <laughs> to it off.
1: Welcome to our movie podcast. Yes. Hello,
2: hi, yes, and we're back.
0: With the the movies nobody will ever make because we're not even interested in seeing them. We just want to troll each other with terrible ideas.
2: Wait, no, these
1: were all real. Okay, I was yes. very serious. All right,
0: well, we'll put our elevator pitch together and like go talk to sci-fi. We'll photoshop,
1: we'll photoshop the posters up. We'll put them on our Instagram. <gasps>
0: oh, do not tempt I me. We have. Anyway, we're going to talk about boxing.
1: (laughs) Boxing is illegal.
0: In Sweden, not in Belgium, there was no boxing at the 1912 Olympics, so this was the first time since London 1908 that boxing was an Olympic sport. 116 athletes from 12 nations competed. There were eight events broken down by weight class. Matches were three rounds long. The first two rounds lasting three minutes each and the last round lasting four minutes. Extra rounds, if necessary, were two minutes long. Two judges and one referee judged each match. All the judges were European and over half were Belgian. Four of the 12 nations represented were not European Argentina, Canada, South Africa, and the United States. This would not lead to as many controversies as it could have, though there were a few. The boxing of these Olympics were a relatively low scandal, with later games having much bigger problems, and even earlier games having much bigger problems, like 1904 when. That
1: the, was the fake identity. Yeah, everybody had a fake yeah. name,
0: yeah. Um, Frankie. Gennaro of the U.S. won the gold in the flyweight division in a unanimous dis- decision over Anders Peterson of Denmark. Shortly after this victory, he went pro and became the f- world professional flyweight champion for several years. Clarence Walker of South Africa won the bantamweight gold. This was a bit easier as the reigning champion and runner-up, Albert Evans of Australia and Enea Marzorati Marzer- of Italy, uh
1: like like the car
0: no Maserati. oh
1: uh
0: both didn't compete in the olympics we'll come back to the featherweights when we get to the controversies in the lightweight class frederick grace of great britain was the defending champion though how much of an advantage that gave him was debatable as it had been 12 years <laughs> since he won the gold in london
1: is he in the same weight class uh, yeah yeah wow uh
0: um, yeah um, american samuel mossberg defeated him in the first round in the second round, Mossberg scored one of the fastest KOs in Olympic history when he knocked out Richard Baland of South Africa in fifteen seconds. All
1: right, that's still a respectable number of seconds for Wait. an
0: Olympic boxer. Whoa. Like
1: he's—he's mm. he's
0: not just like this isn't even qualifying rounds. Like he qualified. Like anyway, um, in South Africa, there wasn't a slouch in boxing.
1: Is this a bare knuckle, or do they have gloves? It's
0: point? Olympics, so yeah, they have gloves. Okay. Yeah, no, they didn't do bare knuckle in Olympics, I think, ever. Uh, the final was more difficult, but he managed to beat out got got Fred Johansson for the gold. Albert Bert Schneider won gold for Canada in the welterweight class, but he wasn't technically Canadian at all. He had been born in Cleveland, and his family moved to Montreal when he was an infant. He won the Canadian championship in 1920 and a spot on the Canadian Olympic team, even though he didn't have Canadian li- citizenship. But again, like we said earlier, rules for who got to compete on what national team were a lot looser in 1920, and nobody cared. Um, Middleweights have the second controversy, so we'll come back to that. In the light heavyweights, Eddie Egan of the U.S. won gold. He was a solid boxer, having won the AAU heavyweight title in 1919, and the middleweight Inter-Allied Games Championship in 1919. Which I think was probably him winning the heavyweight fighting it above his weight class.
1: Right, which is the thing you're allowed to do at your discretion. Yeah,
0: at your discretion. You can always fight up. um, Unless he lost enough weight to go down a weight class, which I think would be much more difficult. Um, Not that going up is easy. Egan was another Olympic athlete who would win a Rhodes Scholarship, and in 1932, he returned to the Olympics as a bobsledder. (laughs) Uh, An unbelievable British boxer won the heavyweight gold. Ronald Rawson was the most dominated boxer, dominating boxer in the 1920 Olympics. He fought three matches, and none of his opponents actually finished their matches with him. His first match... None of his
1: opponents finished their matches alive. Yeah. His first
0: match was ended in the third round, the second match in the second round, and he knocked out Denmark's Soren Peterson in the second round of the gold medal match. Rawson never went pro, retiring after he won the 1921 Amateur Boxing Association Championship in Britain.
1: Ooh, I... You still have to be amateur to be in the Olympics at this point,
0: right? Yes. Yeah, that was until, like, the 90s. Right. His career record was 28 wins with no losses, 27 of those wins by knockout.
1: Who was the one guy who, like, went the distance on that? Uh...
0: I don't know. Like, one guy <laughs> minutes ago, and he still lost. Uh, Peterson returned, uh, the guy who uh, he knocked out in the gold medal match, Peterson returned in 1924 to win another silver medal. So we're going back to the featherweight class with our first controversy, which was due to the referee screwing up. In the first round, Paul Fritsch of France fought George Etzel of the United States. It was a close bout, but both the judges ended up voting for Fritch. The referee thought Etzel had won. So when it came time to announce the winner, he lifted Etzel's hand. Pierre Macard. That makes
1: it official. Yeah. You don't redo
2: the math. <laughs> Pierre, we, well, if we learned anything from figure skating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: poor Svea uh, Pierre Macar of Belgium, one of the judges quickly corrected the error but the Americans thought he reversed the decision and got really mad Fritsch sailed through the rest of his matches and won gold the middleweight is the second controversy in the, in the second round the oh, second controversy in the second round, Samuel Lagonia fought Harry Mallon of Great Britain in this match, Lagonia was disqualified for clinching, which is where a boxer will take a break by wrapping their arms around their opponent and holding them
1: Oh, the like, hug. The hug, yeah. That's against the
0: rules? You're allowed to do it like briefly, but mm. there's like a limit. Um the Americans said this was grossly unfair, and Malin should have been disqualified instead also for clinching. So they're both doing it, but apparently Lagonia was doing it. They're a just both one mutually
1: doing, mutually embracing and like leaning against each other for like several seconds. Yeah, like. obviously mm. one of them
2: was doing it more maliciously.
1: One of yeah. them was doing it more not from the same country as the ref. Ah, yes.
2: Don't do that. Uh
0: However, according to the Belgian newspapers, by the time the disqualif- disqualification happened, Mallon was so far ahead in points it didn't matter, and Lagonia was obviously stalling. Lagonia was an accomplished boxer, having won the U.S.A.E.U. title from 1919 to 1921. However, the guy who beat him, Henry Mallon, was the greatest amateur bo- English amateur boxer of all time, even better than Rawson. He was never beaten in the ring, including in 1924, when he went back to the Olympics, becoming the first boxer to defend an Olympic championship. So. Mm. Uh, again, pretty smooth sailing for the boxing.
1: Like, Yeah, for a sport where everyone's being violent all the time. <laughs> and, really like, came out. a
0: lot of uh, CBT and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and even...
1: For, what? Yeah. yeah, no,
0: it's not asleep. I just turned off the...
1: Oh, okay.
0: Okay. So, we're going to get to cycling, which was a bit more involved in Antwerp than it had been in Stockholm, as in, there was more than
1: one race. <laughs> right. So, we're back to the, like, compl- this is where there was a completely absurd scoring system and c- very complicated rule sets not too long ago.
0: Yeah, we, st- I mean, we- there's still that.
1: Okay. <laughs> That's every sport.
0: That, well, but what? cycling in particular. Mm, to this day. Yeah, cycling in particular has, like, a lot of strange events. Um... Anyway, so there was more than one event, and they had an actual velodrome to have the competition in. The Velodrome danvers Zurenborg, or the Garden City Velodrome, had a track that was 400 meters long and seating for 14,000 spectators, which was definitely overkill, as the maximum number of spectators at any of the four races held there was 500
2: (laughs) okay yeah
0: there were six cycling events in all the last two being cross-country races between Merksem and antwerp the competition lasted from august 9th to the 10th and then a day off with the last race being held on the 12th the reason attendance was so poor was because maybe more than any other sport cycling had been completely decimated by the war um i mean we've already talked about uh cyclists who died in the war they like competed in 19... 19-
1: it's come up, although we've mentioned it in pretty much every sport. Yeah, unfortunately. yeah. So it's hard to get a sense of which sport is it going to be able to bounce back as a kind of... Industry's not the right word, but as a sort of spectator... Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, there had been no world championships since 1913 and no international competitions of any sort in Europe that entire time. And a lot of the previous champions of the sport died in the war. Um, so it wasn't even just like a lot of the competitors, it was like a lot of the big names had been killed so it makes uh, seeing the new blood a little more depressing than usual <laughs> anyway, but still 103 competitors from 14 nations showed up in the first step to reviving cycling to the powerhouse spectacle that it is today uh, nobody set any records at these games, Olympic or World
1: not enough doping
0: well, yeah. <laughs> they were doping before or at least not the way we do now. <laughs> Maybe they were taking little bits of strychnine here and there. Look, <laughs> uh,
2: the well, we got to bring that back.
0: Yeah, right? Do we? Uh, does anybody need to take strychnine for doping? Uh, the events were 100-meter match sprint, 200-meter tandem match sprint. I want tandem cycling to be back in the Olympics sprint. Oh, my God, that
2: would be
1: so fun. Yeah, be yeah good. They did
0: it for a while. I want more tandem cycling.
1: bring it back. Also, the old-timey ones with the big wheel. With the front. <gasps> Penny <gasps> Farthing! right yeah i think it is oh, yeah, yeah that's what it's fighting. called
0: yeah.
2: yes also th- that's fun to say yeah and there's a big wheel let's bring it back all
0: right individual road race and team road race of the 14 nations competing seven won some kind of medal belgium france great britain italy the netherlands norway south africa and sweden great britain was the big winner with five medals every nation except south africa that medaled got at least one gold at the time south africa thought they had at least one gold That was on the individual road race. The course was a 175-kilometer course starting in Merxum to Turnhout, then Moll, then Heist, Opdenberg, Leer, and then back to Antwerp, where they finished the race about three kilometers from the velodrome. In contrast to the races held there, this race garnered a lot of interest, and there was a huge crowd waiting at the finish line. Uh... So, the team and the individual races were the same race. So, it was another one of those things where they just do the one race and they tabulate the team scores from wherever.
1: Oh, but do they, though?
0: That's how they, yeah. I
1: mean, they're going to say they did. And then we're going to (laughs) look back at the papers and we're we're going to realize. Yeah. yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, At this point, changeable changeable gear bicycles or derailers did exist, but were not allowed in competition in the Velodrome or on the cross country race. So they were all, all still riding fixies. All
1: fixies? Okay. Well, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, it, I we're, think and it's a start, little... You said they weren't allowed to, f- to They eat? weren't allowed to, yeah. I uh, yeah, yeah. Get these hipsters out of the commission.
0: <laughs> I do remember, it was one of the guys we talked about before, um, I think in 1908, by one of the French cyclists, the one of the guys who died in the war, but uh, during the Tour de France that he competed in, um, there's a statue of him along the race And it was during those, like, murderous hills as he's, like, riding his fixie up there because they hadn't invented Uh, gears on bikes yet. They hadn't invented real bikes yet. And he's just shouting, and he uh, famously was shouting at the refs, you are all murderers. (laughs) 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 So there's a statue of him
2: up there. They're all complicit. Uh,
0: Anyway, um, they left at four minute intervals from Merxam as it was a time trial. The cause for the South African confusion was the fact that this extremely long course crossed several railroad crossings, and often the cyclists had to stop and wait for the trains.
2: (sighs) (laughs) What if they hop on the train?
0: The officials knew this going in, though, and had accounted for it with deducting whatever time spent waiting for the trains from the final time. (sighs) Which they knew
1: by question mark, question mark, question mark?
0: They they, had a guy They've got somebody at each train stopping. I I don't know. They, okay. they had watches. Those had been invented. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they only
1: had fixed gear watches with every hand going at the same rate around the face.
0: Uh, it was announced that... Okay, when the rioters started arriving at the finish line, it was announced that Henry Kaltenbrun of South Africa had won with a time of 4 hours, 41 minutes, 26.6 seconds. The South Africans rejoiced, lifting Kaltenbrunn up on their shoulders and parading him through the crowd, but when they finished calculating all the time spent waiting for the trains, it came out that Harry Stenkvist of Sweden had actually beat him by about a uh, minute twenty-five and won gold. Kaltenbrunn took silver and Ferd, Ferd, Fernand Canteloube of France took bronze. For the team, ran, team race, France took gold. Sweden silver, and Belgium bronze. Great Britain had a chance for the bronze, but one of their riders, Edward Newell, broke the frame of his bike at 134 kilometers and had to withdraw. I have no idea how he did that. Yeah, that's... No. (laughs) Uh. He saw Superman, (laughs) and... and, uh, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh... Anyway, uh, the U- uh, the U.S. could have contended for a bronze as well, except that August Nagara collided with a chicken at 150 kilometers. And broke
1: the frame of his bike.
0: Yeah, which ended up costing him a lot of time.
1: Chickens are small.
0: You just and pass through just, them. They like, explode feathers
2: everywhere. You I'm imagining
1: he hits the one chicken, and then that's fine. But then the swarm of chickens from, like, Legend of Zelda <laughs> Yeah, style that's comes yeah, okay. behind him.
2: I'm glad that you said it. But I didn't have to.
0: The other fun story came in the fourteen or four thousand meter team pursuit. The final was between Great Britain and Italy. Britain's Albert White fell off the pace after about sixteen hundred meters and was overtaken by the Italian team. When they got there, White pulled wide to allow them to pass, but the Italians had pulled wide to pass him and thought he was deliberately obstructing him. Two went one way and two went the other, and they all shouted at him as they passed. In the next lap, White dropped out of the race, and a French cyclist, Henri Habent, ran over and punched him in the chest. <laughs> Britain won the race by 0.4 seconds, the Italians protested. The protest jury consisted of three judges, one French, one Italian, and one British.
1: Okay, at least they're mixing up the nationalities on the judge's panel.
0: The British and Italian judges withdrew because of the conflict of interest, and the French judge ruled in favor of the Italians. Italy
1: won gold. Also, props to both of those judges for withdrawing. Yeah. Because that's a real prisoner's dilemma. Yeah. Like, if you withdraw for conflict and the other guy doesn't.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Italy won gold. Oh, yeah. They both withdrew conflict of interest, and the French judge ruled in favor of the Italians. Italy won gold, Great Britain silver, and there was no bronze medal awarded in this event. We're back to Equestrian. So... Equestrian events were held from September 6th through 12th, and the competition was dominated by Sweden. Out of the seven events, they won four gold medals and nine of the 21 possible medals overall. Most of the events are pretty recognizable. The last two are completely bonkers. (laughs) Which Sarah's going to be reading us an excerpt about one of them. Uh, Three of the events had individual and team competitions, which they did the same way they did a lot of the foot races and bicycle races, for that matter. Uh, In which both events happened at the same time, and then they just tallied totals for the team competition from the individual performances. The first was the three-day event, which was two days of cross-country racing and one day of jumping. The first day was a 50-kilometer ride, of which five kilometers were cross-country with 20 obstacles. Second day was a 20-kilometer cross-country ride, which was to be covered in one hour, followed by a 4,000-meter steeplechase. Final day was jumping. Now the three-day events. Now the three-day event has one day of cross-country, one day of dressage, and one day of jumping.
1: The dressage. Gold- you want to take it easy, give them a break. Don't do anything real or important for that day, so they have some downtime. Do not make me explain to you again the beauty,
2: <laughs> the bond exhibited between a horse and rider in dressage, the level of communication, the expert control. I don't think there was Dressage in out. this yet.
1: They don't seem to have put Dressage in the Olympics this time for some reason.
0: They weren't there yet, uh, I don't think. Um,
2: I like
1: watching Dressage. It's just I'm called just basic...
2: Like At the time, it was just like, this is what you have to teach a horse how to do. And now people don't know about horses. Horses
1: need to be good at sport They don't to, to serve yes. in war. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the gold medalist in the event... The individual event was Swedish writer Count Helmer Murner on a horse... Named, ironically, Germania. (laughs) Sweden also won the team event, with Italy taking silver and Belgium bronze. Individual show jumping and team show jumping were different from the three day events in that the events were split, and if a rider competed in the individual, they could not also compete in the team event. There was only one round of competition at all, in fact, with no heats or qualifiers. Italy did very well in the individual, with Tommaso Licoio di asaba winning gold and alessandro valerio winning silver
1: and those are the horses names? no
0: those are the riders. Mm. uh carl gustav lewin helped won bronze lewin helped was the only writer to have competed in both the 1912 olympics and the 1920 olympics due to the fact that these riders could not do the team event italy only managed to get a bronze for the team belgium got silver and sweden got gold the biggest controversy of the equestrian events came in the dressage competitions okay so there was dressage this time Uh, Out of nowhere! There was... That was when Swedish bronze medalist Gustav Adolf Boltenstern Sr. was disqualified after it was revealed he had practiced in the ring before the event started. Even with Boltenstern eliminated, Sweden swept the first four places.
1: (laughs) So, is it the in the ring part that's bad there? Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine practicing is against the rules.
0: No, yeah, it's like you can't practice in the actual event. uh, of course. The nuttiest event of the equestrian competition was one we don't do anymore, which I it's another thing I wish would come back like tandem bike racing. Jousting? No. Uh, it was only done in 1920 and has a few different names in English, including, quote, vaulting, figure writing, and acrobatic writing. Malin's book calls it figure writing, so we'll go with that. And we're just going to read from his book what this event entailed. Sarah, would you explain to us what this was?
2: I am mad at you. Yes. <laughs> like, I apologize for the journey that we are all about to go on together because we're going to get lost in here, all right? And it's going to be rough, but we're going to get just, through it together. Just
0: imagine, like, get yeah. yourself ready. Like, Cl- imagine. Close your eyes. You're at the Olympics. You're watching uh-huh. Equestrian, which is, like, event that, like, there's horses. The nobility does uh-huh. because they're the only ones who can afford to do this yep. kind of
2: stuff. Yep, very fancy people, and they're very fancy horses. All right, here we go. One, jump on the horse from a standing position, and then after that, jump from the horse back to the ground. Then jump back on the horse over the left side, and after that, over the right side. Two, we are not done, Frank. We are not, we have not even begun. I will save
1: my questions till the end.
2: Please do. <laughs> two, running. A, there's a, this is two, part A. Jump on the horse from the back. B, land on the horse in a standing position. Down. C, jump over the horse without support from left to right. And D, jump over the horse without support from right to left. Can we
0: stop and, and go back? You have to jump on the horse and stand on it.
2: Yes. Like from land in multiple multiple directions. on your feet on I, the horse's back. I want to apologize to me from you because you interrupted me in the middle of step E. We are
1: saving questions and oh, clarifications right. for D.
2: Yes. You get. You did this. You did this to me and all didn't of us. I did E, jump over two horses without <laughs> yes. support from left to right. And F, jump over two horses without support from right to left. And that brings us to round three uh, with a jumping board. Um, a, jump from right to left over the horse with a salto. B, jump with a salto over two, three, four, and more horses. We're just gonna stack them like cordwood. <laughs> Uh, wait. Four. Okay. No, we're not done. Okay. Four, riding with a walking horse, in all caps. So I'm assuming it's like a special gated horse. I guess. The a the horse walks on the rider's left side. One, jump on the horse. Two, jump on and off the horse four times without rest. Two times from the back and two times from the front. Three, jump over the horse from left to right and then back on the horse. Four, jump over the horse and back four times. Five, sitting on the horse, turn around. Six, stand on the horse. B, repeat tests one through six with the horse on the rider's right side. And C, repeat tests one through six with a saddled horse how do the horses feel about this I can't imagine I, that they'd uh, like it and anyway
0: When they're jumping over they have like four or more horses to this. just have a guy it's like a monster
2: he, truck rally and but horses.
0: undertaker that like jumps over six horses I'm I,
1: first glad of all also to the monster truck first, place. first of all it's gravedigger
0: gravedigger undertakers are oh, wrestlers wrestler. yeah, oh no you're
2: right Okay, these are these but are Hold out as frogs.
0: No, okay, so they will be he'll have a shovel over his shoulder as he vaults
2: six horses without yeah, touching any of them. Yeah, it says or more like it doesn't give a These are bound of horses, are horses, horses that
1: are animals, right? Not yeah. little wooden horses yeah, these like are, in no, shop. This is where you real, this is things.
2: equestrian horses. And
1: you Okay. A notoriously skittish animal. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not I was uh thinking everything seemed kind of reasonable if you were jumping over horses like widthwise and not lengthwise until you stack 6 of them in a line well, and at some... that point you might as well have turned one.
2: I at some point in here we jump onto the horse from the front and from the back and I can only assume from the front means over its
1: head. Right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> how do you practice this without getting your ribs? The horse
2: kicked through can people the horse jump hates
1: you <laughs> over horses generally speaking?
2: Like the horse hates you by the end of this and then we're rinsing and repeating twice.
1: People who ride horses like step into a Stirrup or something, right? Yeah, to get there's on? a box. We, and oh, the, yeah, there are stairs
2: also. We, yeah, we in the modern day have invented stairs, <laughs> horse stairs, <laughs> to um, avoid all of this no, nonsense. No
1: part of this seems to have involved the horse moving or doing a thing.
2: Can I just like make a comment? Is yeah, that it's true? about just horse. Well, like horse, like horse events aren't really about the
1: horse's athleticism. The, well, I feel like the horse races require good. Running. That's a horse, horse race. There aren't horse races it's in It's cross-country. That's jumping. Yeah. The jump... But We just talked about a three-day event where they were doing races and jumping. C- cross-country is jumping. I presume that that was the horse jumping over things and not yes. person I, I, but you, the person getting off But it's about
2: communication. Like, it's about, like, working with the animal, whatever. The point is, this doesn't seem to involve any of
1: that. You need the animal not to... Have F and kill you. Yeah, but this doesn't really seem Well, I guess they,
0: they did all the jumping with the horses, and you're like, this isn't really fair. We should make the riders jump, too.
1: <laughs> is that the motivation? Is I that why this is a thing? To, I don't I know. Now, now I like it. Now I am Just
2: jumping over the jumps, though. Like, why are we jumping over the horse?
1: I have a thousand questions.
0: <laughs> I wanted this to come back so bad. <laughs>
1: this, but, no! I'm sorry, in part, one of the later steps, they were doing it with a... Some, with They're a, jumping
2: with a salto. Which is a, with what? a jumping
1: board. Like a diving board? I, I can only like imagine a like a little trampoline someone and in an like old timey out.
2: bathing suit jumping over a horse. I can't be the only one. This is the thing that kills us. This is it. This is the end of this podcast. What have you done?
0: <laughs> jumping over horses.
2: Can is this a time event?
1: Do how does this judge?
0: How do you jump over a horse's head twice without it biting your...
2: Any part of you, any part of you, all of you. These are all men,
0: and they're jumping over a horse's head. Like it's just (laughs) inviting. It's gonna clamp on. They're wearing
1: pants, I assume. I know, but like that doesn't
0: stop a horse. (laughs) No, 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 no. no.
2: I sorry. Hi, Uh, I've been bitten by a horse. They don't care. Are you alive? (laughs) I'm not.
1: (laughs) Okay, was this a timed event?
0: No, it was like scored for style or whatever. I don't know. Okay, okay we don't imagine them
1: doing, like,
2: 180 ollies off of the horse. <laughs> how dare you?
0: As with the three-day event, the team medals
2: What, you're just going to jump back <laughs> into no, no, it? No, I am more... <laughs>
0: we're determined by adding up the scores for the individual competition. Records for, from this event are not great. So we don't have the full names of all the competitors or medalists, but they were, or I guess, how they were even scored. Daniel Boukert of Belgium won gold. Uh, somebody, Field of France won silver. We don't even have his first name. And Louis Fanet of Belgium won bronze. They also didn't list the names of the horses. For the team event, Belgium won gold, France silver, and Sweden bronze. This is, I just really... Maybe like they always the
1: same horse. The horses have to <laughs> but do But no, you have, it
0: like, like, four or more. Like, you have at least four horses. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, this is the world's most patient horse. <laughs> it's like yes. all these, like, aristocrat europeans are just jumping (laughs) and landing on its back on their feet
1: like (laughs) wait actually yes go back that was one of the questions they you have to stand on the horse you but this was an unsaddled horse
0: yeah so you you start from the ground and you leap up without touching it and land on its back on your feet
1: why wouldn't it just kill you
0: this is a very good question perhaps the horses were doped (laughs)
1: With strychnine? Yeah, with stry- They can't stop kicking you?
2: <laughs> I hate it. I hate everything about this. I take it back. I don't want to do anything else about horse events. But what about your... But
1: dishes? the communication between the horse. Yeah, I
2: hate How you guys. much more
0: communication do you have to have with a horse when you're jumping on its back?
2: I just now imagine oh, a guy over. jumping onto a horse, like, from every possible direction, going, Sorry. Sorry, bro. Sorry, bro. Sorry, bro. Sorry, bro. <laughs> Also, I love that they called it figure, well, like figure writing. Like they just named all the ones that were stupid, like figure. Whatever. I was waiting for
1: you to have the horse like going in a perfect square and no. being judged on its precision or something. But she no.
0: tried to jump over the back of the horse, getting
2: kicked. She and me. just vaulted. And then, like you get points for how far yeah. you go. There's like a a field goal upright. That's also there. made of horses that are stacked on top of each other, because why not at this point? It's good three points. He went through the upright. i literally <laughs> just, like, imagining horses in a row, like, at a monster truck rally is, like, where I am. And I can't leave. It sounds like that's accurate, though. Great. Yeah, no, that sounds exactly, that's what was described here. Bridget just, is not with us you're anymore. you just evil over these done. horses. i She's done. This is it. Like, I don't understand how they could do any other events. Like, how do you show up to watch this event as a spectator and then, like, yeah, this, this is fine. This is, like, the only is,
1: event I would want to watch. This is <laughs> a
2: good institution. We should definitely keep doing this. Why, no, I would write an angry letter to the editor Maybe immediately. Maybe that's why I never came back.
0: I wanted to go back so bad.
2: <laughs> You're in actual tears. <laughs> Imagine. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. Hold on, I'm we can not, think of something stupid. No, more. no, you what can't. if we do
1: no. this, we start with this, but instead of a person, it's a smaller like a little toy horse <laughs> doing the jumps.
2: Wait, it's smaller horses jumping over bigger horses? Yes. <laughs>
0: Ooh. I just lost a contact.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, god. I've been, I've been waiting. For weeks. I hate <laughs> this. I hate that you've done this.
1: Oh, mm, I can't believe you've done
2: this. Am show jumping? No, no, no,
1: jumping a, it's show jumping, but it's people jumping. <laughs> I'm, I'm infuriated. What? what day was this on? Was it Sunday? Sorry. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I definitely lost a contact. Oh, God. We're all... We're in a
0: state. Those horses are all like war veterans. They're so, like, at least I'm not getting <laughs> shot. <shocked. laughs>
1: that would explain
2: why they were super <laughs> chill with <laughs> <jumping>. <laughs> the stole afterwards. And they're like, hey, man.
0: <laughs> I didn't have to wear a gas mask. Step up, bro.
1: Yeah, this Does is better. Have- Gas mask. We must have. Had. Yeah, they, and that they're horrifying. Like a real they're thing. like
0: the scariest looking. Things. How did
1: that work though? Because facial hair affects up the gas mask. For the, I don't know. For the... but,
0: like, yeah, I don't know. I've just seen gas masks. For did horses. they shave
1: the horses' face? I don't the think so. you don't have to shave a horse's face. But
0: facial hair messes up the seal. You on You couldn't a gas have mask. a
1: beard or a mustache in World War One because you had to be able to put a gas mask on. Mustaches might have worked okay, but beards were. But wouldn't. like
2: they're, but it's is different. much it's different. different. They have yeah. much different like mm. hair. Yeah. It's like very, smooth. it's very fine on their face. Okay. Also,
0: like I mean, it's better than nothing. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Anyway.
2: What if they did look stupid? And they all had like reverse beards, though. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Totally. <laughs> Sorry, we were just recovering. I'm like, what if horses had anti beards? All right.
0: Uh, okay. Fencing. All right. We're gonna move on from that. Okay.
2: I don't see how.
0: Okay, well, there's this uh, Italian fencer. is actually a really cool story. <sighs> okay, fencing. <clears throat> was one of the most popular events in Belgium in 1920. Uh, the events took place between the 15th to the 26th of August, although there wasn't a competition every single day of that there were large crowds throughout at the gardens of the Palais d'Aigman, which was near Fiershot Stadium. They were supposed to be outside, but it kept raining, so they were moved inside to a hall with a linoleum floor. One man was the star of the show. Of the six events, he competed in five of them and won gold in all five. Nedo Nadi was the greatest Italian fencer of the modern Olympics, and some consider him to be the greatest Olympic fencer of all time. His father, Giuseppe Beppe Bepinati was a fencing master and gave his son his first fencing lesson in foil at the age of seven. Giuseppe Nadi taught Nato and his younger brother Aldo foil and sabre but refused to teach them epee as it was quote undisciplined according to him. <clears throat> Undeterred Nato and Aldo taught each other epee. Nato's first Olympic appearance was in 1912 in London when he was 18 and won seven straight victories to become the youngest Olympian to win a gold medal in foil. He served in the armed forces during World War I and was awarded a medal for bravery. When he returned to the Olympics in 1920, he knew that the Hungarian absence presented an opportunity in Sabre. <laughs> he decided... Right. Yeah, because... The, they
1: can't win if they're not allowed to play. Yeah. And otherwise they will win. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. The, the Hungarians will win Sabre, all the Sabre events until like 1968 or something like that. Um, There we go. He decided to go for it and entered all three disciplines. NATO, like I said before, won gold in everything he entered. Three were team competitions. His performance was described as, quote, as close to perfection as a fencer could execute. He beat his own record in foil by winning gold after winning ten straight matches. In Sabre, he won 11 matches to nine, and his brother Aldo won
1: silver. So is he the fencing equivalent of that scene in The Protector when Tony Ja just, like, fights a million guys in a row one after another?
0: Yeah, pretty much. And he just won gold in everything he did. Uh, his father was still not impressed with the Epe and considered it a, quote, crude and undisciplined weapon. Nevertheless, Nadi led the Italian team to win gold in Epe. He also led them to gold in the Team Sabre and the Team Foil competition. NATO and Aldo went on to have successful careers. NATO in becoming a fencing master and Aldo going to Hollywood to be a fencing choreographer. They only ever faced each other in a public competition once and the match ended in a draw. NATO's record of winning gold medals in all three fencing disciplines has never been matched. His record of five gold medals in a single Olympics stood until 1972, when swimmer Mark Spitz broke that record by winning seven gold medals, and which has since been broken, I think, by uh, Michael Phelps. The only event that NATO didn't enter in was individual epee, perhaps finally bowing to his father's opinions. That event was swept by the French, which with Armand Massard winning gold, Alexander Lippmann winning silver, and Gustave Bouchard winning bronze. Um, And no
1: controversies, because no one dared question this?
0: Yeah, I guess, because he was just so good. (laughs) All right. Um, Field hockey. There weren't many records about what happened in field hockey. Only four teams competed, listed in the order they finished, Gold and Fourth, Great Britain, Denmark, Belgium, France. There are some things we know about three of the British players. MVP for Britain was Stanley Shoveler, Great Britain's greatest ever center forward. He was captain of the English team from 1910 to 1921. The match against Belgium... He scored eight goals. He was also on the 1908 British Olympic team and won gold, then two, making him the only player to even compete in both 1908 and 1920 in field hockey. Uh, one of the other British players, Rex Crummack was better known as a golfer. He started competing in the British Amateur Championship in 1909 and continued until 1946, making him the only golfer to compete both before and after both World Wars. Another team member, Jack McBrien, is better known as a cricket player. In 1925, he was named as one of Wisden's Cricketers of the Year.
1: Were golf and cricket in the list of sports that you gave earlier? I don't remember.
0: No, they, they weren't.
1: So games. they had nothing else to do at the moment. Yeah, they might so as well. Do field hockey. Sure. Um,
0: all right. <clears throat> Gymnastics. I think the thing that's more surprising to me than anything else I've discovered while researching the Olympics is what a complete mess gymnastics was, and we're still in that period. I don't know when it resolves into anything consistent, although it's arguable if it ever stops being a mess, that they at least stop having entirely different rules every Olympics.
1: Just redo the horse jumping, but put in the pommel horses instead (laughs) of the equestrian horses. But
2: then after you've done jumped over live horses, how do you go back to that? it's not going to be as exciting. What if they put a little horse, like, head on
1: the... (laughs) Decorative?
0: At the time, in Belgium, there were three different competing schools. The Belgian Gymnastics Federation, founded in 1865, the Catholic Gymnastics Federation, founded in 1892, and the Socialist Gymnastics Federation, founded in 1904. So at the Olympics, they all got to host an event. In addition, they also gave a collective demonstration in the Olympic Stadium on August 22nd. The official competition lasted from August 23rd to the 27th, was held at Beershot Stadium, and featured 250 athletes from 11 nations competing in four events, including two athletes from Egypt and two from Monaco, both nations making their Olympic debut. There had been Egyptian athletes before, but they were competing as part of the Ottoman Empire or mm. Greece, uh, or, like, identified as Turkish. I don't know. But, anyway, this is the first time they're competing for Egypt. Uh, the events were as follows: to com- follows. Combined exercises, individual... European method, team exercises, team competition. European method, combined exercises, team competition. Swedish method, and combined exercises, team competition, free system.
1: How many of these were having a big room full of equipment and just kind of let loose half a dozen A a lot of them,
0: actually. (sighs) The European method was closest to what we would recognize as gymnastics today. There are five events in both the individual and team competitions. Horizontal bar, parallel bars... Still rings, pommel horse, and, horse. F- and a floor exercise. <clears throat> pommel horse and floor exercise both had only optional exercises, while the other three events had optional and compulsory. For the individual competition, each event was given a score of 0 to 10, with an additional two points awarded for each event that an athlete started and completed. So the max possible score for each event was 12, and the max possible over score overall was 96. There had not been a major international Olympics competition since 1913, but several of the competitors in 1920 had competed in that event and earlier and won championships. Marco Torres of France had won the last world championship and was a favorite going in. He got silver. Giorgio Zampori of Italy won gold, and Jean Junot of France won bronze. The events for the team event were mostly the same, although the scoring was different. Instead of floor exercise, they had exercises with instruments. And instead of rings, they had a hurdle exercise and hurdles 70 centimeters tall, just over 2 feet, 3 inches. Horizontal bar, parallel bars, and pommel horse were the same. Teams could consist of 16 to 24 competitors, although some records indicate some teams had more than 24 members. And the maximum possible score was... we already
1: established that they can't or won't count
0: in this Olympics,
1: (laughs) so that might have been fine.
0: They're like, they're like, you're lucky you got any, so...
1: Or just ask- like, oh, 25 is against the rules, but like, it's I eyeball it, it's like 20, I don't know, whatever.
0: Uh, the maximum possible score was 404 points. Don't ask me how they got that, I don't know. Uh, Scores inter- have not found. yeah uh, Interesting side note to, about the European method, it would be more accurate to call it the German method. He was commonly referred to as such due to the fact that it was popularized by Friedrich Ludwig Jan and Adolf Speis uh germany and switzerland would have been the favorites for the team competition but germany was not permitted to compete and switzerland didn't enter a team in their absence italy won gold belgium silver and french france bronze and now we get to the wackier events first the combined exercises team competition swedish method this event consisted of 11 calisthenic like exercises points for each exercise by the team were given a score from 0 to 20 by the six judges the exercises also had a degree of difficulty coefficient. And each judge also gave a 12th score for aesthetics and precision. Therefore, each judge could award up to 1,500 points. The six scores were then averaged to find the overall team score. Only three nations entered teams listed in the order they finished. Uh, gold, gold, the bronze, or Sweden, Denmark, and Belgium. The six judges consisted of two from each country represented. The Belgians were clearly not in the same class as the Swedes and the Danes. So while the Swedish and Danish judges favored their own teams, the Belgian judges favored the Swedes, which is what gave them the edge in the score. Only two nations entered teams in the combined exercises. Team competition, free system. Because this was a ridiculous event.
1: But you're guaranteed a medal.
0: (laughs) Denmark won gold and Norway won silver. Teams could consist of 24 to 60 competitors... (laughs) Exercises lasted one hour and were on the apparatuses of the team's choice and exercises were all optional. 50 points were given for performance and additional 10 points given for the number of team members who participated. The highest possible score was 60 points. There were two judges and their scores were averaged to find the final score.
1: If there's only two competitors here, I feel like you just agree to chill out for an hour in the rooms. Don't worry about it. One guy does a somersault. Flip a coin yeah. at the end. <laughs> uh,
0: one judge was from Norway and the other was from Denmark. They again both favored their own teams with wildly different scores. And the Danish judge scored the Belgi- Norwegians much lower than the Norwegian judge scored the Danes, so the Danes had the better average score. I it goes about halfway through, so we'll pick up Next time to finish nineteen twenty with the modern pentathlon, and.
1: Oh. Right, like, like, share, and subscribe. Follow <laughs> us on Patreon. We don't uh, have a Patreon. Follow us on Instagram.
0: We don't have an Instagram. Follow
1: us on Twitter. Jump over some horses. Follow us on the new horse jumping social network that we're that we're building. Oh, oh, keep that on the elbow. That's a secret. <laughs> we're not IPO yet. <laughs> We're not, we're not, I see any By But this releases. We'll get our cryptocurrency horse coin. We are on God. Twitter
0: at Olympic Size Cast. And our email is Podcast at gmail.com. If you please, want to email us.
2: Please send us illustrations of what you think. Send, horse, a, send us fan art of jumping over horses. Horse jumping. Yeah. But like for real.
0: And uh, we'll get, uh, we'll pick back up with modern pentathlon and wrap up 1920 next time.